Welcome back to Worship with All Saints, a broadcast ministry dedicated to personal growth in God's Word. Please visit our website, aschurch.net, for more information, including our service schedule. Psalm 30 I will extol thee, O Lord, for thou hast lifted me up, and hast not made my foes to rejoice over me. O Lord my God, I cried unto thee, and thou hast healed me. O Lord, thou hast brought up my soul from the grave. Thou hast kept me alive, that I should not go down to the pit. Sing unto the Lord, O ye saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness. For his anger endureth but a moment. In his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. What profit is there in my blood when I go down to the pit? Shall the dust praise thee? Shall it declare thy truth? Hear, O Lord, and have mercy upon me. The Holy Gospel is written in the seventh chapter of Luke, beginning at the eleventh verse. And it came to pass the day after that he went into a city called Nain, and many of his disciples went with him, and much people. Now when he came nigh to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and much people of the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and said to her, Weep not. And he came and touched the open coffin, and they that bare him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to thee, Arise. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak, and he delivered him to his mother. And there came a fear on all, and they glorified God, saying, That a great prophet is risen up among us, and that God hath visited his people. And this report of him went forth throughout all Judea, and throughout all the region round about. The Gospel of the Lord. precipitous path leads down the hill towards the gate of the village to the countryside. And upon this path this particular evening we behold a slowly moving funeral procession. In the lead we can easily discern the grieving women mourning with their plaintive wails of lament as they plod and lumber along in grief and depression, emitting their sorrowful chanting accompanied by the melancholy tingle of small cymbals. Following behind them are the young men who are carrying the body of the dead youth upon a wide, flat board, the widowed mother of the victim, her only son, following in anguish by the side of his lifeless body. Bringing up the rear of this solemn assembly, we see the people of the community 
joining in the grief, growing into a large crowd of sympathizers. It is deemed the solemn duty of everyone to accompany the funeral procession as it moves towards its final destination. Consider well this processional assembly as it descends from the city, moving ever downward along the pathway. For this is not some exceptional, unique incident, but rather one that has been repeated over and over and over in one fashion or another since the beginning of mankind, and one that shall continue on to the end of time. It is not difficult to perceive that the atmosphere of death is prevalent, painfully obvious upon every face and manifestly evident in the slow progression of the participants as they trod along down the road that leads to the gate which will take them outside the village. Death has taken another captive, the spoils of another life given over to the destroyer of life. The multitude of mourners, by their tears, confess to the victory of death, slowly carrying the product of the work of death to the tomb. Suddenly and quite unexpectedly, this funeral procession making its way down the road is directly confronted by another large group, albeit going in the other direction, traveling up the pathway and heading straight towards it. Within this second group of dust-covered travelers, we see many of the disciples of Jesus and many who are from Capernaum, and some, having come from the country round about, are mostly fishermen and farmers in their coarse and simple clothes. And among them is one who is dressed no differently than they are, but to whom they all give reverence, who they listen to eagerly as he talks to them as they progress along the pathway. And then the two diverse groups meet on the side of the hill, in the middle of the rocky path, one being the procession of mourners stricken by the effects of death upon one of their own, and the other being led by he who came, as he said, to heal the broken in heart, and to bind up their wounds, and to give life. But death had already accomplished its gruesome task. It had done its utmost. It had taken another victim, and there was no alternative but to bury that which remained before the putrefying effects began to work upon that which no longer bore life within. Two different groups encountered one another that day. One representative of all who inhabit this earth, who exist from day to day and eventually are carried out of it, as was this widow's son, and the other group, those who follow the Son of God, he who is the life and the resurrection. This is what we need to consider as we think upon this which is before us today. Which will have to turn aside and make way for the other? One factor I must remind you to consider. You must always remember this meeting was not by chance. Jesus and those who were following him ascended the hill to the little city at the exact same moment when the head of the funeral procession was coming out of the gate. They encountered the dead man before the place of his sepulchre had been reached. A little later, and the young man would have been buried, for the burial took place usually at evening on the day of the death, for the hot climate made it necessary so to do. A little earlier, and the lifeless cadaver would have been at home lying in a darkened room, 
and it is probable that no one would have called the Lord's attention to him. Just as the widow woman was at the gate when Elijah arrived at the Lord's instruction, so was this widow woman and her dead son exactly where the Lord knew they would be. And what did Jesus do? We are told he came and touched the open coffin. The word of God is so rich, so replete with instruction, and nothing that is included within it is without meaning. Everything that Jesus does is for an express purpose, such as that which we have here, of which many might consider a seemingly minor detail, that he touched the open coffin. From the side of the weeping mother, Jesus walked to the side of the lifeless form. He took the initiative, as he always does. By touching the coffin, he became himself ceremonially unclean. Just as at another time, he touched the diseased leper, becoming ceremonially defiled, and took Jairus' dead daughter by the hand to become dead himself in the eye of the law. So here he touched the coffin as a type, a symbol, for it was by sharing our uncleanness, becoming sin for us, identifying with us, that Jesus has taken our sins away. It was by sharing our sufferings that he expiated our guilt. It was by assuming our humanity that he has redeemed it. It was by dying our death that he abolished the power of the grave, took away its sting. The sinless one, becoming defiled, was to all who understand a definitive expression of the cross and a profound description of our redemption. Jesus spoke directly, personally, to the dead son, saying, Young man, I say unto thee, arise. But the Savior you observe spoke with his own authority. Elijah, in a similar situation, could not, nor did not speak so. But he who spoke thusly was very God of very God. Though veiled in human flesh and clothed in lowliness, he was that same God who said, Let there be light. And there was light. Jesus spoke the word, and as with Lazarus from within the grave, the young man immediately responded and arose. We note that there were only three occasions during our Lord's ministry on which the power of giving life to the body went visibly forth from him and the dead rose from the grave at his command. And yet when we consider who he is, when we recognize the infinite love which was in his heart, it seems somewhat surprising that the number of those raised from the dead is not much greater. Why was he so sparing of those great and stupendous displays of his divinity? He walked amongst men and various signs and wonders followed him, and yet it was his desire that men believe in him by faith and not by sight. The only sign he said that he would give was that of the prophet Jonah, that of being raised from the dead. This is a truth which we must pay heed to if we are to better understand our Lord. Jesus did not come upon earth in order to reverse those laws of pain and sorrow which are the effects of sin. He did not promise exemption from the manifold afflictions which are the lot of flesh and blood common to all of mankind who is born of woman. Rather, he told us to place those burdens upon him, to take his yoke upon us, and to follow him in the midst of those trials and tribulations of this life. He did not banish sickness, nor undo the curse of death, 
or promised present ease in this world. In fact, he said his kingdom was not of this world and for us to bear our cross. Rather, what he has done, what he has given unto those who believe, who know him, who have responded to his voice from their state of spiritual death, is so much more than a relief from this present world. For he has given them life, true life, himself, resurrection life. And yet, this visible authority over life and death was necessary. It was the proof of his commission from the Father, of his sonship, of his being the life. It awakened men's attention and testified to them that a mighty prophet was in their midst, yea, much more than a prophet. There was a divine economy in that which he did, doing only what was sufficient for his purposes and no more. For you see, this is what we must understand about the miracles, the life-giving works of Christ. They were wrought more for the sake of those who came after than of those who enjoyed the immediate benefits. The innumerable sick who were healed by his hands and words obtained no exemption from future aches and anguish of disease and pain. They who left their beds and walked were one day, as death approached, brought down to their state of helplessness once again. The souls which were reunited to their bodies one day had to return to the dust from which they came. But though the sick again would become ill and the risen would die again, and the blessings conferred of health were but temporary for those who received them. Yet for us, the instruction is enduring and the benefit immeasurable. He that hath the Son hath life. True life, not mere existence or natural life, for we all have that whether we have the Son of God or not. But the life we speak of is spiritual life, the life received at the new birth by which we perceive and enter into the heavenly kingdom, come under new and spiritual laws, are moved by new motives, and exist in a new world. We speak of the life of God in the soul, a celestial form of life, inwardly perceptible to the person who possesses it, and outwardly discernible to spiritual observers by its holy effects and heavenly fruits. Yes, two different groups encountered one another, that day, to which group do you belong? All Saints Church is a small, unique community serious about discipleship, prayer, and worship. Once again, more information can be found at aschurch.net. We hope you will continue to be a part of our listening family as we all pursue growing in Christ. May the Lord bless you this day.